0: We take our Bibles at this time and turn to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 12, as we take some context reading for our text this evening that we'll unpack together in John chapter 1. And so as we come to behold the Lamb of God... We hear that call for a lamb there in the deliverance of the exodus that pointed ahead to that lamb who would need to be slain, the worthy one that we speak of in Revelation. And so that whole theme again of the lamb and and making sure even as we read John 1 that we're not rushing ahead in that story, certainly as John writes it there. And and John the Baptist, what does he know of that yet? And, And we'll discuss that a little bit. But. John, as he writes his gospel, can't help but continue to look back at this one who has been slain, that that curse would be removed, that the Lord would pass over us because of the blood of the given Lamb. So let's hear these words, Exodus, Exodus 12, beginning at verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months, and shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight." Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts, on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover." For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And then let's turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, taking up our reading in verse 29. And so here already we've heard that accounting of of the word that which we read often in our lessons and carol services at Christmas. This is the one who has come, who has become flesh and dwelt among us. We come then to the testimony of John the Baptist, one who prepares the way for the Lord, but then his making known who the Christ is. Verse 29, John chapter 1, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. The grass withers and the flower fades but the word of our God indeed stands forever. Let's seek his blessing again in it in prayer. Let's all pray. Our Lord and heavenly Father, we thank you for this lamb that you have given. This lamb father by which you pass over our sins because of the blood of another. The blood of one given, Lord, in order that we might be delivered. A greater lamb, far more, far better than that of the Passover. You've given us your only begotten Son as that sacrifice. And so, as John the Baptist makes that plain, as John makes that plain in his gospel, Lord, as we open these words, never losing sight, Father, of that Old Testament promise, we pray, may we continue to be led forward in the hope of one who is worthy. The worthy lamb that was slain, Father, we pray, might our worship then, might our consideration of your word be pleasing in your sight for the sake of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, children of God called to be saints, behold the lamb of God, at least for me as a young person in listening to the Messiah became not only very grave words, but there's something different. If you've listened to that oratorio, and again, I want to encourage that to you, even in this Lenten season, there's something that you can instantly tell is different. And yes, it's part two, but, but even in terms of the orchestration, that something serious has now taken place or is being led up to. And so the setting takes on a, a certain gravity, a darker tone in knowing what that Messiah's life is directed towards. He is the one born to fulfill all righteousness. That good shepherd who would lay down his life for the sheep. This one whose yoke is easy and his burden is light. That he would fulfill all righteousness. That he would be that once for all atoning sacrifice for sin. And so the Messiah uses these words in a way that can do nothing but point to Calvary, even in almost that unison line in the end. Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. And now that orchestration swells and resolves almost in darkness because that's where things are heading. And certainly there are any number of musical settings to these words. Even this Christmas, having gone to an Andrew Peterson concert, there is a setting of, Behold the Lamb of God. And it can't help but take a somber tone. There's still the reality of sacrifice throughout all of those words. But in his setting, it's words serve to, to be sure that, that that resolving is not in, in doubt or, or having to wonder what's happened, But it resolves in announcing the wonder of our praise and hope. And so it shares the reality. We who walk in darkness deep now see the light of morning. The mighty God, the Prince of Peace, a child to us is born. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. Behold the Lamb of God, the life and light of men. Behold the Lamb of God who died and rose again. Behold the Lamb of God who comes To take away our sin. And so it moves then from the birth now to this point in our text. Wanderers in the wilderness. Oh, hear a voice is crying. Prepare the way. Make straight the path your king has come to die. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. Behold the Lamb of God, the life and light of men. Behold the Lamb of God who died and rose again. Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away our sin our sin. And so there's a beauty in being able, this side of the cross, to be able to say, it's all there. And as we read John here in John 1, there is that same bit for us as we read it, and and we fill in all of that meaning that, that for John the Baptist, for those who were there, they couldn't see all of that yet. They didn't know all of that yet. And yet, as one who knew the Old Testament Scriptures, that reality was there. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall know no want in life, for the good shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. The Lord is my lamb. I shall know no want in my salvation, for the good lamb takes the place of the sheep. And so already, even in these references that we come to know, there's something that we need to behold of the consistency of who our God is, of, of that message that continues to ring out all throughout the Scriptures. And so there's much to behold in the life of the Messiah, much to behold even in the life of this text signaled in what John cries, but also in what he doesn't. Because it's the thing that puzzles us when he says, behold the Lamb. Here's his first opportunity to say plainly, who is the Christ? And he could have used those words. Behold the Good Shepherd or behold the Word of God. Even behold the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. But instead, behold the Lamb. Behold His purpose. Behold what He has come to do. For this is The chosen one of God. To behold him. It's why I prayed in the way that I did tonight. Open our eyes to see again. To look, to behold, to know in all of that redemptive glory what's being announced. That call remains for us. To know him. To open our eyes to all he will do to bring such a tremendous salvation about. And so we have to behold him in his person. The one who is there walking toward John, true God and yet true man, to behold his work, to behold the suffering that had already happened and would continue in that way to become darker as it's driven towards that cross that we know is coming, to know his glory because that's our hope. And it's why in that way, perhaps, if we can be as arrogant as that, maybe Handel gets it a bit wrong because all it does is land on that note of here's the judgment without that shimmer of we know the rest, that it isn't just grave and foreboding, but to hear behold the Lamb of God is that of celebration of a people that were looking for the Messiah, of their praise, of the hope in the one who has come to live and yes, die for us, but for a purpose that we would be saved. And so we need to behold Him. That's where that text still resonates for us. That we must heed the call to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But it's more than that. And believe in Him by faith alone. It isn't just seeing, it's believing. Believing all that's being announced and letting that belief work itself out into the life that we live before Him. And so that seeing and believing then, must be directed toward that lamb who is the chosen one of God. And so in our text tonight, we see that he is a lamb revealed in verses 29 through 31. He is a lamb anointed in verses 32 through 34. And he is a lamb then ultimately that is to be followed in verses 35 through 37. But That revelation certainly seems clear because here is word that is spoken. Here is inspired word captured for us that calls us to the same thing. And yet, that revelation, though he in the flesh, has not come fully yet. There hasn't been a full embrace or even statement of who Christ is in his role upon earth. We know it by way of his name. We hear that in our catechism. But in terms of the place of the text, we're not there yet. And so this revelation, this light has come. There is something there in the darkness that needs to be beheld. And so even in the use of that word, here is a signal throughout the scriptures of there is something redemptive going on here. There is something that you need to see in order to string those pearls, the pearl necklace of the word all the way through. Here is the next one to show you who has come and why he has come. And so why does that lamb need to be revealed? Because this is the Son of God. Because this is the one promised there as we read the whole of John chapter 1. The one who is the beginning. The one who is the word of the creation. The one who does all things for salvation has come. And so that lamb is revealed by John the Baptist that we might be redeemed. That's in the first place. Look again at verse 29 of chapter 1. The next day... He saw Jesus coming toward him. John the Baptist knows who Jesus is. There's family relationship here. And while he had lived his time in the wilderness until that time where these things were to be revealed, now he sees him again. He sees one whose name means what? He will save his people from their sins. And so there certainly could have been that use of the word, but there is a way that it happens. And so Jesus comes to him. He doesn't need to go to him. He needs him to come so that he might reveal who this one is. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here is the Lamb. Here is the sacrifice. Here is the blood for the Passover. Here is the blood of the sacrifice of the altar. Here is the blood that grants us access into the presence of a holy God. Behold it, here is the one that has been given for you, a lamb for us, for our children, for all of that promise of God. Behold this one who has come down from heaven for us. This is God's plan, this is his way, this is his work. This one only begotten of the Father has come to fulfill every promise To bring every kind of deliverance. And that this will be the only way of salvation for us. Who takes it away. Who isn't just going to cover it, though his blood will cover. No differently than the blood on the mantle of the doorposts. But he will take it away. Because even that word taking away says to himself. If you're going to take it away, that's your possession. You will take that which we cannot take and we cannot carry, the sin of the world, a sufficient sacrifice to atone for the sins of the whole world, effective to save his chosen people from every last one of their sins. Behold him. This is why he has come. This is the who that will accomplish all of this for your redemption for your salvation, that you might be right with God. And not only does he need to be beheld, but he has revealed then redemption. Here's the gospel. Here is the good news from John, but that he would be recognized. That him in his oneness, in the onliness of what that Savior is, that you would see it. Verse 30, this is he. Of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Here is an eternal God, see it. And yet, here is this one that has come to us, who is walking towards me, who has come to his people. You need to see him. John is ascribing glory to him because those who would have known, even in those inner relationships of the Jews, are like, Well, you're older than he is. What are you talking about that he's before you, that he ranks ahead of you? John is speaking of his servant nature. I have a responsibility, a job. He's already said that in John 1, I have come to prepare the way of the Lord, to make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Here he is, a second Elijah, to come and say, here is the one, and now is that time. See him, behold him, and a recognition then that you would know him. This God who is before all times. And even if John the Baptist doesn't, in his own finiteness, be able to understand all of that, he is still used of God to say, behold him, this one, this is the one. Don't be confused. Recognize him for who he is. And then act accordingly. That your life, that your actions would speak of what has been revealed to you in that Lamb. Because that Lamb is revealed that we may be redeemed, that He might be recognized. But in the end in verse 31, that we may be repentant. That we would be brought to Him, not only in beholding who He is and recognizing Him in that way, but coming before Him, laying what we are before Him, that He would do and be exactly what He has promised to be. I myself... Did not know him. That's really strange from John. Why would he say it that way? Other than the fact that I knew him physically. I I know him as a cousin. But I did not know the fullness of all that he would come to do. Or the fullness of all the ways in which he would do that. But for this purpose I came here at baptizing with water. What was John's baptism? It was a baptism of repentance. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. This is the message that Christ will take up. Here it is. Repent before the presence of God. Find yourself covered in the washing of that kind of repentance, believing in the sacrifice that he has come to bring. that he might be revealed to Israel, the true Israel, a people set apart for him, a people that we in Christ have been made a part of. And so as we consider what it is to behold the Lamb of God, have we found our redemption holy and only in him, Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. A lamb, a once-for-all, spotless, atoning sacrifice, the perfect lamb. Do we recognize him? Are we longing for him, desiring to see him and behold him, not only in his word, but to see him as he is in that last day, longing that we will know him because we know him by what he has said and what he has done. But have we truly humbled ourselves before him, recognizing why did he need to come this way? Why did he need to bring such a sacrifice? Because of my sin, the sin I was conceived in, the sin that I commit for me, for you, for all of his chosen people, that we would come in repentance and faith and lay all of our sins on Jesus. He is a lamb revealed to us as the way of our salvation. He is also a lamb anointed that he might work that very salvation for us and that in the second place because John ultimately is giving witness of Christ's anointing. And so what we see in the book of John then is a a collapsing of the timeline, as it were, right? So here we're not having a a time in terms of the temptation or the baptism and then the temptation. We're We're not seeing all of that order. But here in the text, having that condensed timeline in order to speak then of here is that work of the Lamb. Here is how that direction has to continue. And yet we have to be careful when we come to texts like these because we, and, and we can't help it, right? There's that bit of all of this Old Testament environment and we know the end of the story already and so we try to cram all of that in front end. And when we do that, we, we miss out on not only the tension in the text but also the beauty of what's already there. Because John the Baptist's reference to the lamb probably isn't first and foremost Passover lamb or sacrificial lamb. But what we start to see in this language as John, writer of the book, will pick up in Revelation that John the Baptist's reference of I didn't know him or I don't know how he's going to bring this about is directed to an apocalyptic lamb rather than a sacrificial one. And so again, you start thinking of that language even that we read to begin our service in Revelation chapter 5. And so taking care, not reading more into the text, because John is still looking for that kingdom. It's why later on in the book, he's still going to question, well, are you the one? Are you the one? Because he's looking end times. He's looking full fulfillment of kingdom. And Jesus is saying, behold, look at what I'm doing. Look at what you see. This is exactly the way it would come. And so there's that tension there, yet recognizing the reality very plain to the hearts of Israel of of Isaiah 53. And so I think that's the power in this text of that repetition that John the Baptist speaks of, I didn't know him. I don't know how all of this works. I don't know what it is. I mean, even that struggle of John saying, well, no, you shouldn't be coming to me for baptism. I should be coming to you. And so that bit of fulfilling all righteousness of how am I that lamb? And so a blessing is afforded to John the Baptist in grace and understanding that Christ's ministry then was greater than his own greater than just a message of a kingdom, greater than just a message of repentance, but a recognition that Christ must increase, John 3, but I must decrease. And so what that has to do then is with the wonder of Christ's anointing in that moment. And so that condensing of this timeline highlights that for us. That Christ's ministry is greater in the wonder that He is this anointed lamb, set apart for this very thing. And so what is that all about? Well, look in your text. The Spirit descends and remains with him. Something future. Yes, equipping for the work, but also a promise of that which would be provided for his people. The Spirit rests upon Christ permanently. This isn't a coming and going. The Spirit is there with the person in His humanity of Christ. A foreshadow of a guarantee for us that we would share in Christ's anointing. And so here we see the Spirit fully active in Christ's work of redemption, but also in that moment the Father directing and remembering His promise. And so it comes audibly in that day, here is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. But also in Revelation, revealing to John the Baptist. I saw the Spirit and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said, verse 33, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. The anointed one will share his anointing. And so that's the joy of what we confess in our catechism laid out in just a couple of verses. Lord's Day 12, question and answer 31. Why is he called Christ, meaning anointed? Because he has been ordained by God the Father and has been anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher who fully reveals to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our deliverance. The Lamb's revealed. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here is the work of the Father through the mouth of John the Baptist. He is our only high priest who has delivered us by the one sacrifice of his body and who continually intercedes for us before the Father, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who takes it upon himself and says, I claim them as my own because I have given them my righteousness and I have taken upon myself their sin. And so I intercede for them on the sake not of their work but mine. And our eternal King, who governs us by His Word and Spirit, who guards us and keeps us in the deliverance He has won for us, Lamb of Revelation 5. And so here is that picture of just what He has been set apart and empowered to do. And so in these verses, He's anointed to three things. He's anointed to serve to live that Spirit-empowered life for our salvation and for our future indwelling as the one who fulfills the Scriptures. Hear it in Isaiah 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist. And faithfulness the belt of his loins. Here is the one who has come to establish justice in himself. By bearing the wrath of God for our sin and granting us his perfect righteousness. He is empowered by the Spirit to not only be beheld, but to live that life as the Lamb. He's anointed to serve. He's also anointed to share. That here, in living a life of the Spirit throughout all of His life, even as He suffers throughout all of His life for us, He, living a Spirit-guaranteed life, speaks to our anointing in that same Spirit. I know my benefit, the benefit of that Spirit, the benefit of that guarantee will never be taken away because it was never taken away from Christ. And ultimately then he is anointed to save. This is that chosen one. And so that's where that footnote in your scriptures is found there at the end of verse 34. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. And from the standpoint of a textual variant, and we're not going to go into all of that, but in terms of that text as it's compiled, the stronger evidence would give itself to the chosen one. I have seen the chosen one. And what that does, certainly, well, aren't both of them awesome revelation? Absolutely. But as we've already had linked to Isaiah 11, now here is God the Father speaking through this prophet John the Baptist now speaking another word of beholding. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world links itself to another behold in Isaiah 42 verse 1. Speaking again, here is the only way of salvation. Isaiah 42 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold. Spirit's been given, now the Father is saying I uphold him. My chosen in whom my soul delights. With whom I am well pleased. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Here is his blessing. Blessing now linked to Abraham. You will be a blessing to the nations. It's found in Christ. Anointed to that very point. So that as those found in Christ, we would share a calling from the Father and an anointing of the Holy Spirit to be those who make the good news of our only high priest, our prophet, and our eternal king known. In the benefit and the guarantee of all that John the Baptist is proclaiming about him. All that the scriptures reveal about him. An anointing grounded in the truth that Jesus is that chosen one. And that's where the scriptures for us tonight have to lead us. Do I know by way of that salvation promised by the Father in the work of His Holy Spirit that this Son is not just a way of salvation, but He is mine. That He has been anointed unto that task to make all of those promises fulfilled. To give all that He has promised to give in that Spirit. To never take it away, even as He promises that He will never forsake us. And that we would be anointed to a task of going forth and making him known. That revelation known. His fulfillment known. His perfect work known. That is what he has come to do. That we would share in an anointing. That we would share in a walk, in a work, in a way. That we would behold it. That in every word that he speaks, in every action recording in the scriptures, we would behold an anointed lamb of God who takes away our sins. And it is that lamb then that must be followed and that in the last place. Because that is the joy of John's life and certainly in the small bit of the scriptures as it's revealed to us that he has a task. We heard that already in the words that his father spoke of him in the song of Zechariah. But we see it in his life. A life given for a singular purpose in every way to point to the coming one. To make known the chosen lamb. It's a calling that's no different for us. Our life to be given to the same as we follow him. And so our call, as one commentator says about these last words that that we've taken for our text tonight, is a call to take steps of faith. He's been revealed to you. You recognize him. You hear his word. You know that anointing. You've seen all that Christ is. But at the end of the day, if that head knowledge doesn't migrate to your heart, into your hands, into your feet, have you really beheld him? Have you really beheld the true fullness of what the Lamb of God who takes away our sins has really done and is all about? If we have truly beheld the Lamb, then we will follow him. And so we follow the one we behold. That's true about our life always, right? The things we give our eyes to, I mean, I think I've used that example before of when you're riding your bike and and you look at the hole in front of you, that's what you're going to ride through. You never look at the hole. What we fill our eyes with is what we follow. And so that's very clear to see sometimes in life. And so here, as John is standing there with his disciples, the next day again, John's standing with two of them. Now comes a call. Behold the Lamb of God. And so here is that double meeting. Open your eyes. Go and draw near to him physically. Follow him. Don't let him go. Don't let this moment pass. Do not let Jesus pass you by. Go and be near to him. Give all of your life to that singular thing that in beholding that lamb and ultimately what he has come to do for you and for all of his people, go and be near him. Give all of your life to that focus. Draw near to him. But then follow him spiritually too. Behold the lamb of God because he doesn't repeat the end of the line, but that's the reality. This is what he's provided for you. This is what his life is directed to. You have every reason and gratitude of heart to say, not only is this Jesus mine, but because of what he has done and what he has given me, I will follow. And I will give myself to his command of making him known and revealing him and rejoicing in the anointing that I share with him in seeking to follow him in obedience, glad obedience all of my days. So that call to us, see him and hear Him, and be changed by Him. Because we follow the one we believe. And that's where it has to change. Because it can look like we're following Him. And we can give lip service to the fact that we have beheld Him. And as long as we look enough like those other people who say they're doing that, and a little bit less like those who don't, then it's as though we've gotten away with it but we follow the one we believe. We obey his call. And so even here, for John to say to these men, behold the Lamb, and doesn't have to say, go and get it in gear. Here he is. Obey his call. Obey the call of the one who proclaims that word to you, and then go to his chosen. Go to the chosen one, because he's the one you find salvation. John's like, it's not me. It's never been me. My life is given to point to him. And that's for us too. Don't behold my life, my works, my change, my anything. That's a word that comes out of all of our mouths. Who do we want people to see? Who do we want them to listen to and obey and follow? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Obey his call and go to him. And so, if you have not beheld the Son, if you have not beheld this Christ, this salvation, this Lamb, this chosen one of God, not only in terms of that once for all sacrifice, but also that Lamb who is worthy, worthy as the Lamb that was slain, to receive honor and glory and power and blessing, how does your life make that manifest? How are you beholding Him day by day? Because the gravity has to be revealed and has to be resolved in us. It takes on that overtone because of my sin and my guilt. But yet there is hopefulness because he has come to do that very thing the thing that we could not do. And so have you beheld him? And so to return to that song that I began with from Andrew Peterson. He takes the time to speak in the words who we're beholding. Son of God, Emmanuel. Son of man, we praise you. Behold, behold the Lamb, the hope of man. Behold the Lamb. Is he your hope? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. Behold the Lamb of God, the light and life of men. Behold the Lamb of God who died and rose again. Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away our sin. Is that your confession of faith tonight? Is that what you're making known to others? Might you trust it? Might you believe it? By faith alone, in that chosen Lamb alone, in Christ alone, by the power of that same anointing spirit at work in you, To apply all of that by faith, might we together behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Amen. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of that call, the wonder of that word as it is fleshed out most clearly in Christ. But Father, as we consider what it is of, of what's been revealed to us, of what's been shown to us that needed to be done for our redemption, how he must be recognized, Lord, is the only one who can bring that. How we repent before him, Lord. We are thankful for an anointing that we share in Christ in that same life-giving spirit. That we might make plain in the words of the scriptures that which is true, that is yes and amen according to that promise in Christ Jesus. Lord, that we might lead others to that faithful high priest who is the only sacrifice for our sins. The one to who we come before as king who has completed all of it. For the sake of the world, for the sake of His chosen, for the glory of His name. Because worthy indeed is the Lamb who was slain. And so, Father, we ask then, in the light of all of that revelation, that we would heed John the Baptist's words. That we would heed the, the words of the Gospel of John. That in truly beholding Him, beholding Him in His promise, that we would follow, that our eyes would become all the more full in the wonder of what he has revealed to us, but that our faith, Father, would unswervingly follow your Son, knowing the suffering that he has lived for us, knowing the atoning death he has died for us, knowing the promise that he has granted to us in his glorious resurrection, and knowing his reign even now at your right hand as he intercedes for us now. So may we more fully follow this one we behold and we believe in the abundance of grace that you have given us in your Son. And so, Father, thank you for this glorious plan of redemption that we behold. Holy Spirit, thank you for making that plain to us by way of that word and by that anointing, your indwelling in us that is never taken away. And so, Lord, we pray, might you work as we behold this Lamb to truly and wholly glorify Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. This evening we have opportunity to give